do not judge. That is a widely known thing in the world that Christians especially are not to judge. Judge not. You'll hear people say, and maybe that's the only Bible verse they know to quote to you, but they know it. They know it's in the Bible, the idea that you and I are not, if we say we live by the Bible, we say we believe the Bible, we are not to judge. The Bible says it, don't, doesn't it? And most often people bring that up in the context of uh, you speaking about uh, someone else's sin, perhaps, or what an ideology you think is wrong. Um, maybe a, a conviction you think is different than yours, and you just disagree, and they say, judge not, don't you know? The Bible says you can't hold a, a different position where you say someone else is wrong. Don't, don't judge people. People always come on Christians. They know Christians are supposed to not be judgmental, because the Bible says it. Well, this morning in, in Romans, we're going to see here uh, multiple times in Romans chapter 14, this concept of not judging, and it's important in uh, chapter 14 for us to take a look at that specifically. I'm going to read Romans 14 from 1 uh, through 13 to give us some context, and we'll focus on one verse there at the end. Romans chapter 14, verse 1, listen to God's word. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both over the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us is to give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We're going to focus here on verse 13. Uh, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But uh, we do note that throughout this passage, there are uh, a number of passages that speak directly to not judging the brother. Uh, verse 4 was one, if you look there. Uh, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Uh, it's, it's not, he, you're not um, their master. They are not your servant. You don't get to make the judgment call in their life. Uh, verse 10 is, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother for all stand before the judgment seat of God? And then verse 13, where we're going to look at specifically this morning is, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. What is the idea wrapped up in not passing judgment? Well, here, obviously, the context of Romans 14 is very important uh, because 
It's talking about two people that have difference of opinion. They have decided differently about how to uh, maybe a practical level of their faith. In, in this example, what days they consider holy or not holy. Uh, what their diet should be, whether it pleases God to eat something or not. And, and they have the Christian freedom and liberty to decide within their own conviction and conscience, I choose this and it's right. And you choose that and it's right. And that seems strange. Because we, and I'm wired this way, it's either right or it's wrong. Right? I do not like the gray. I like black and white. I don't like gray. I want to know that it's right and therefore you're wrong. And that's probably why actually I'm wired that way is because I always want to be right. Uh, <laughs> I'm not comfortable with the gray because that means I'm likely wrong. And so it's black or white and I'm, it's always black, right? And so that's probably why I'm wired this way. But also... I feel like the Romans were wired this way as well because they clearly were having a problem with judging one another. Verse 13 says, don't judge them any longer. It means they were having this issue of passing judgment on the other people's judgment call or their um, conviction or their way that they have decided to worship Christ. And so, but the freedom is there. What they're both doing is desiring to give honor and glory to God. We saw that in verse 6. Um, that they're both, whatever they're doing, even though it looks drastically different and the other person thinks it's wrong to do so, they're both honoring God. And they're both giving thanks to God. That's what makes it acceptable, is that they're both honoring God. And as we'll discover as we go further into the chapter, it begins to dishonor God if you do it to cause a brother to stumble or you know that you're causing someone to stumble. Then it becomes dishonoring. No matter if it's right in your own conviction or you, you have the Christian freedom to do so, if you do it and it causes a brother or sister to stumble, it's wrong. It becomes wrong. Uh, and so that's really important uh, in this whole context of Romans 14 is this, these decisions which can be made individually that both honor God. And there he says, let us not pass judgment. Because what is judgment? It's sitting above a person saying, I have the right to determine right and wrong over you. What I have determined to be right way of, in their example, right way of worship, right way of eating, I can place my convictions on you. I'm the judge over you. Right? That's what Romans 14 is struggling with here. That's what Christians struggle with. My convictions must become your convictions. And that is true. As we've talked, as we've gone through Romans 14, there are some things, some mountains to die on. You know, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, we say if you don't believe that, you're not. Uh, believing the gospel properly. And so there are things that we can say, this is black and this is white. But there are many things where uh, it's up to your conviction. And so the question is, are you allowed to force that on other people? Your convictions about dietary things, your convictions about holy days, the, the Sabbath is really a modern day application of this is, well, what can you do on a Sunday? Are you allowed to shop on a Sunday? Or is that forbidden? Does that dishonor God to shop on a Sunday? Are you allowed to go to a restaurant because you're causing somebody to work on a Sunday? Are you allowed to work yourself on a Sunday? And that, that's a conviction that, that many different people take different stances on. Some thinking in their Christian liberty, well, we're free under Christ. And Christ says the Sabbath was not uh, made for um, us. And so like, that we're not, we don't have to consider the Sabbath for a moment because we're under Christ. And so there's a real wrestling about what is Sabbath and, and how do we partake in the Sabbath? Obviously, we know that we are to give a day to the Lord. But it's sometimes the way we determine the practice of that, we can be hard and fast on. And like I mentioned earlier, like I, I, I almost myself struggle. Like if we were told we cannot meet on a Sunday anymore, 
and we had to meet on a Saturday, I'd struggle with that. And, and I don't know why. Obviously, Sunday's the Lord's Day. We celebrate it as like a reminder of the resurrection. But is it hard and fast that it has to be a Sunday? No. It's just the way the early church did it, but it wasn't mandated. And so then for me to have that mandate on my heart and almost to put that conviction on other people, when I see them like holding church on a Saturday, I'm just like, oh, I don't know about you guys. Like, are you flaky? But that's in my own heart. And that's just wrong because they have the ability uh, to meet on a Saturday and hold a full and, and a God-glorifying service on that day, just as much as Sunday, just as much as a Wednesday. And that's where there's this struggle in the Christian heart is because you have a conviction. All the things that you can have an opinion on, you have one. The problem becomes is when you force that opinion on others. When you force your conviction about gray areas on other people, and therefore you become judge over them. Say, this is the way you must think. You are therefore wrong because I have determined I get to make the decision as to what is right and what is wrong. But before you even think about not passing judgment, there's this word at the beginning of 13. Therefore. Therefore. And as I've said a hundred times before, it's cliche, but it's really important. When you see the word therefore, you stop and ask, what is it there for? Why is that word there? Because the word therefore always makes us look backwards and say, like verse 13, what are we saying here about not passing judgment is based upon something else. Based upon what has come before. Therefore, here's the reason. Therefore, you don't judge one another. Well, what's the reason given? What's the reason? Well, here in the immediate context is verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us is to give an account of himself to God. Therefore, therefore, God is the judge. You're not going to stand before God for someone else and their conscience. You're going to stand before God for your conscience. And yes, sometimes that includes you teaching and rebuking and exhorting and encouraging other people. You're going to be accountable for, did you do that or not? But you're not accountable for whether they believe the gospel. You're not accountable for whether they obeyed the gospel. You're accountable for what you did with the gospel and with what God gave you. And so because God is the judge over your decisions and over your convictions and over your opinions, God will judge your heart, whether you were true to your own convictions or not. God's going to judge that. Therefore, don't judge other people. Because guess what? God is their judge, not you. Leave them to God. Leave their convictions to God. Yes, teach. Yes, walk beside. But serve them. And especially in Romans 14, these people were glorifying God, even though they differed in opinion. And so what do you to do? Well, I want them to glorify God more, so I'm going to encourage them in their faith. Even though it's practiced differently than me, uh, here they really struggled with the, the day of worship. They really struggled with dietary stuff. And, and you know, uh, you see Peter had that struggle too, right? Coming out of this Jewish background, Peter had that struggle. He said, no, I, I would never touch, you know, pork. And God said, all is, all is clean. And Peter really struggled with this idea. And then he, he, he was freed from it. He realized it's his Christian freedom. Jesus said, no, all is clean. And guess what? Peter slipped right back into it, didn't he? So Paul had to rebuke him. Because Peter started saying, well, yeah, well, you know what? We can't eat with the Gentiles again. We can't eat what they're eating again. Peter fell back into that. And so Paul 
Interesting. You might say, well, Paul, you're being judgmental. You are judging, Paul. He, though, he called out Peter. Why is that? Because Peter was then walking against his own conscience and against his own conviction. So therefore, Peter was walking in sin. Against his own conviction. And against what God had directly told him and Peter had already confessed. It's okay to eat pork. And so Paul called him out. So was Paul being judgmental? Was Paul disobeying his own words here in Romans chapter 14? It's a good question, because then we must always ask, well, is it ever appropriate then to supposedly cast judgment on another person? Well, what is judgment? That's where we have to uh, consider what the text means when it means to judge another person or pass judgment on a person. James 4.12 says, there is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? There's one judge. It is God. So then if God, the judge, has written down a law and has spoken, then that's now the judge. This is now the judge. Right? And so if we are to um, pass on his judgment, it's not our own. So what Paul was doing was not passing on his own judgment on Peter. He was passing on God's. He said, this is what Jesus said to you. Right? Not Paul. Paul didn't say, hey, I told you eating meat was fine, Peter. Now you've gone back on what I said. No, Paul wasn't offended because of that. Paul was offended because not only did Peter go back on the conviction that he held, uh, the truth that Jesus had told him and spoken to him, the judge had told him, but also he was destroying the, the Gentiles' worship and therefore robbing God of glory. He was doing exactly, Peter was therefore judging the Gentiles on how they worshiped. And it was wrong. So Paul called him out on it. But, you know, this, this common idea of everyone knowing that we're not supposed to judge comes from Matthew chapter 7, right? The most famous passage on not judging. I'll read it for you. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use will be measured to you. Why do you see a speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what's the problem with judging others? Well, firstly, if we fail to recognize that we also have flaws, but more than flaws, we have sin. We have sin in our own lives and in our own hearts. And so we fail to recognize, in Matthew 7, the, the, the problem was the failure to recognize one's own sin before they started pointing the finger and saying, you're all wrong. You're all sinners. Y'all need to sort yourselves out. I'm, I'm holy. I'm good. That, that was the problem. And that's why they were called hypocrites. You hypocrite. You think you're, you're holy and perfect and pure? The problem was the hypocrisy that they wouldn't address their own sin in their own life. And they're just pointing out sin in other people's lives. That was the problem with the judgment there. It, it was an imbalance of, well, you, think, you somehow think you're holy and you are God. And that you somehow have no sin and you're also not guilty of sin. And now you're speaking down to us. That was the problem. The failure to recognize sin in their own lives. And not just about things that they have done even. But potentially about the, even, even the motivation to judge another person. Well, why are you judging them? Why are you pointing out the speck in their eye? Is it so that you can feel good? Is it so that you can feel justified and feel like you're better than them because you've pointed out something a little minor in their life? Like why? What's the motivation behind your actions in this moment? And are your motivations motivated by sin or selfishness? 
So we have to recognize the, the, uh, the plague of sin within us, lest we also be hypocrites in that passage directly apply to us, where we're pointing out sin in other people, and therefore we're judgmental and we are wrong. But what you'll notice about that text is judgment is allowed. Judgment is allowed and it's important. There is a speck in a brother's eye and it needs to come out. And that brother doesn't notice it. Well, whose job is it to push it out, to, to, to point it out? It's another brother's. It, it is his job. But first, because what he's got to do is deal with the log in his own eye, and confess his sin before God, come before God, allow, have others to hold him accountable, recognize. He says, yes, I have a log in my eye. And you know how it got there? It's because I didn't notice a speck. I, I, I allowed sin in my life, and I didn't have someone checking in on me and holding me to account, so I got things in my life that I'm unwilling to address or I can't address. It's recognizing that first, and then by God's grace, seeking forgiveness, uh, repenting, turning from that log in your own eye, that sin in your own heart or in your life, turning from it so that you can now see clearly. You're not plagued maybe with a, a, an overreaction to your own sin. Or, or the overreaction to your own guilt in your own heart. Therefore, you're coming down heavy on someone else because you feel guilt. No, you've dealt with that before God. You've brought it before God. You've repented. God, by his grace, has ripped that log out of your eye before the next speck gets in there. And then, it says, and then you can go to your brother and see clearly to take the speck out. So guess what? He still went to his brother and he still pointed it out that there's a problem in your life. There's a speck in your eye. There's something that needs to be removed. So the judgment was... Allowed, And it was encouraged. It was necessary that this man have a speck out of his eye. And who did it but his brother? But only in the right motive and in the right frame. A man who is humble and repentant. Walking with God. That's where the judgment is good. Judgment is important. So then is it ever right to judge? Well, yes. Based on that passage in, in Matthew chapter 7 most well-known, most quoted, to just be a blanket statement. You can't judge me. You can't declare anything against me. I get to make all of my own life decisions. You can't tell me I'm wrong in any shape or form. That's what people use Matthew 7 for. To justify their own sin. To stay, say, stay the heck away from me. You're not allowed to judge me for anything. But it does include a judgment of sorts. So the people who often quote Matthew 7 don't know the rest of it, that the guy eventually gets to point out the speck. They don't recognize that. They don't admit that. That judgment is right and it is good for the person who has the speck in their eye. If we recognize that uh, we do pronounce judgment, we must recognize what that judgment is. It's not a judgment call from us or our own convictions or our own words. It's not our own. But it's a rule of God. It's the rule of God. It's, it's, it's His word. There is only one judge and lawgiver, right? Well, who is it but God? Okay, well, God has a word and God has spoken God has declared what is right and what is wrong. And, and what's amazing about this scripture, and it's so rich in the scripture, is it's not just about external actions that God has pointed out that are wrong things, right? He's pointed out heart attitudes that are wrong in us. God has show, he's judged us. And he's judged us constantly. And so then, if I'm to read a scripture passage to you that just speaks directly to a sin you're active in, in your heart, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're angry, maybe you're lazy, maybe you're gluttonous, and I speak that to you and I say, gluttony is wrong or, or anger is wrong. And you think, don't judge me. Did I judge you? Did I judge you? No, God judged you. 
It's not, it's not saying that I don't have other sins or not sins at all. But if I just read those words to you, if we just put some of those words up on our church sign, you know how many people would say, they're not supposed to judge us. But I didn't judge you, but God did. His word is, like, I guarantee you lawmakers have been trying for years to figure out how to make this book illegal. And it's going to happen in our country soon. Passages are going to become illegal. There are passages of our scripture already considered in our country hate speech, right? Hate speech. So then, if you were to ever quote them on the street, you're going down for hate speech. Even though it's not your words, you're just echoing the words of another, the judge. You're the one who's a hater. But, but then we have the idea of like, well, don't shoot the messenger, right? If I just read a passage to you and you're cut to the heart and you're convicted and you're saying, judge not, it's because you're guilty, but you don't realize who the judge is. It's not me. It's not the person delivered. It's not the delivery guy. It's the lawgiver and the judge, God. If, if someone ever quotes a black or white matter from the text, something that is clear in scripture, and you feel like you're being judged, you are. But it's not by them. It's by God. And, and, and thank God that someone had the boldness to, to deliver the package to you, even though they knew it was a ticking time bomb. They knew as soon as you take that package, things are going to blow up, and they're likely going to deal with the collateral damage. Thank God for people like that who are willing to bring the word to bear, even if it's hard and difficult. We need people like that because there's the deceitfulness of sin that tells us, no, it's not that bad. No, you can just get, you can get away with it for two more weeks. No, no, don't, don't stop now or it's too late now. Sin lies to us nonstop. And if we didn't have people who are in our life by God's grace pronouncing his judgment on us, declaring his word to us, we would be always backslidden and walking further and further from God constantly. But the judgment of God is a good thing. God disciplines us, Hebrews tells us, like a father who loves a child. A father who never disciplines his child, never corrects his child, never rebukes his child, is not a father who loves his child. Because that child's going to end up in danger. So God, as a loving father, rebukes us. He judges us. And we are thankful for that judgment. We're thankful for when he speaks a word to us that cuts to our heart and shows us our sinful and wrong patterns so that we may repent. We may believe, we may stop and realize what we have been living in. And we're so, as much as judgment hurts, right? It hurt. The truth hurts. But that's the thing. If I said, oh man, you're a liar. It's not going to hurt your feelings unless you lie. You're going to think, whatever, it's just going to roll off you like water off a duck. If you never tell a lie, and I, I call you a liar, you're not going to be phased because you know that's not true. But if you do lie, it's going to hurt, and it's going to sting, and you're going to get defensive, and you're going to wonder, like, who are you to call me a liar? Right? You get angry, guy. You're, you're an angry man. You know, like, you know what I mean? So then we start throwing darts at each other when instead we should be saying, man, if that hurt my feelings, it's probably got some truth to it. I probably need to like come before God with that accusation. Even if <laughs> that's the beauty of accusations sometimes towards us, even if it's a wrongful accusation or accusation from a wrong motive of another person, and maybe just hurling insults at you, take it before God because perhaps there's truth to it, right? And if there is truth to it, and you come before God and say, God, is any of this true in my heart? Like, reveal it to me. If that was your way of waking me up and hurting my feelings so that I could repent and turn from that sin and trust in you, thank you. Even though they did it in a wrong motivation, even though the delivery was poor and hurtful, thank you. 
Like we ought to thank God for rebukes. We ought to thank God for judgment because it doesn't allow us to live in a trap of sin. When the, when the judgment is his judgment, black or white, it is good for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, it's interesting because in, in, uh, we do have these judgments in Scripture, right, that are, that are clear. And that today people think, well, no, you can't judge other people. You can't call other people um, to account. You can't uh, do things like that. Well, we, we have very steps. God gave us the steps. Matthew chapter 18, really the steps of how do you confront another person, right? Well, if you, if you notice a sin or you notice something amiss in person and they're not repenting of it, Matthew 18 says, go to them privately. Talk to them about it. Say, like, hey, do you think that whatever you're doing is, you know, is pleasing the Lord? And then, you know, you kind of pers- you know, persist and say, hey, listen, I, I think you should repent of your sin. If they don't, then you take a trusted friend with you and you go together. Say, hey, listen, we, re- we want to pray for you. We don't want you carrying on in that. Um, and if they say, no, I, I refuse. I'm just going to keep living the way I do. Then you take it to the church. And then, therefore, you go on and on so that this person doesn't live. Like, the whole point is that they would repent They would turn back to God. And so there is a method in Scripture, Matthew 18 models it, of how to confront someone in their sin, how to judge them with the black and white of God's judgment. But we are the delivery men. We are the messengers of God's judgment of people sometimes. And here's the thing. The end of Matthew 18 is if a person doesn't repent, you treat them like an unbeliever. Say, you know what? There is no credible way we can call you a Christian anymore. We can't. We can't do it. We won't endorse you calling yourself a Christian. And so, uh, you know, the term excommunication uh, is where we get that from. They excommunicate them. They, and that term comes from excommunion. You're not in allowing them to partake in communion. You don't commune with them as a Christian anymore. That's where excommunication comes from. Uh, it's not just like a cut them off from your family. It is a, you're saying, yeah, as a Christian, you're saying you don't belong to this family, actually. There's no evidence in you. We've tried. We've graciously tried. We've spent time with you. We've prayed with you. We've tried uh, appealing to you to repent, and you haven't. So we're going to uh, cut you off from the communion. We're going to cut you off from calling yourself a Christian. We're not going to affirm you. We're not going to serve you communion because serving you communion says that you're a Christian. We're not going to allow you into church membership. So if they are a church member, you uh, take them off of the church membership role, and you discipline them. You say, you're not living like a Christian, and we're, we're trying to help you to do that, and you're unrepentant. So, so people look at that sometimes and say, wow, how judgmental are those people who excommunicate or who discipline in the church and, and kick members out of a church? Well, that's the most loving thing a church can do. Because imagine a person who, who thinks they're a Christian, says they're a Christian because, hey, I'm a, I'm a member of that church. I take communion there, and I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. Yo, I, I belong. I'm a Christian. How unloving is it for you to let them carry on in their unrepentant sin, which is evidence of of a heart that doesn't love God. It's not loving at all. And so the most loving thing you can do is deliver God's judgment to them in, in the ways that God has prescribed. Matthew 18, one of them. 1 Corinthians 5, another one. I want to read it for you. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 13. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out into the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So to you. 
purge the evil person from among you. It's those who are uh, in sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or, or drunkenness who are unrepentant. These people who you have addressed the issue with. And, and that's the thing. If someone is, is walking in any of those sins, sexual immorality, idolatry, alcoholism, if they repent, man, praise God. Praise God for that. You, you rejoice in that and you continue to call them brother. But if they don't repent and they remain unrepentant for a period of time, then he says, purge them. Like, don't allow them to eat with you. Don't allow them to share the table with you, uh, the Lord's Supper with you. Because when you do that, you're, you're saying, hey, they're my Christian friend. They're my brother and my sister. When the evidence points otherwise. And so the, the, the judgment is not from man. It's from God. It's on, on things that God has clearly said is sin. And it's in, in walking in sin in an unrepentant way. God has said, this is sin. But he also says there's a way of forgiveness of sin. There's a way out of sin. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John says. So there's a way. And 1 John also says, like, if you think that you don't have sin, you're a liar. We all have sin, but there's all the same solution, the gospel. Come and confess. Admit your sin before God. Be cleansed from it. Repent of it. Turn away and trust in Jesus. We all have that on a daily basis. We have to repent of our sin. And so when we do that, it's just continued evidence of God's grace in our life, showing us our sin, helping us to turn from it. It's evidence of God's grace. And so when there's a person who's maybe stuck in a rut, you go to them and you, you show them maybe their error. Show them how what they're doing maybe is not glorifying God or, or allow them to come to that conclusion somehow. It takes, it takes wisdom to discipline people, but it's important to discipline uh, people. You'll notice a couple things even in that passage from 1 Corinthians 5. Was, uh, Paul said, I'm not talking about people in the world. Like, If people don't claim to be a Christian and they want to live an immoral life, that's them. So that's not on me to, to call them out on that. God will. God will do that. At some point in their life, God will do that. It's not your job. Your job is to be, he says, it is, not those, uh, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? We are to judge. And so it's funny when, when this idea of Matthew chapter 7 gets thrown at us all the time, judge not, it, it is taken way out of context. It's taken out of the context of all of Scripture where there was judges. You read the book of Judges. They sat over the people and pronounced judgment. You're right, you're wrong. <laughs> and God has given us his word to help us uh, to say this is right and that is wrong and we ought to live one way and not another. But there's black and white in that. The scripture, where it is clear, we ought to be clear. Where it is unclear, we ought to be charitable. We ought to be patient. We ought to bear with one another in love, serve one another. But where it's clear, we have to, by God's grace and with his help, um, do the hard work of delivering the message. But this is where it's hard. Romans 14 is because it talks about the things that are gray. <laughs> the things that are not clear, that are not sin. It is not sin to uh, set apart special days for God, like some of them were in the Church of Rome. They're set apart special days for God, saying they're holy days. It's not sin to do that. It's not sin to, to set apart a room of your house and say, this is a, a holy room, this is a room where I just dedicated to God, it's consecrated to God. That's not sin. But some people you know, are convicted that you know, maybe that's just not right or it's not helpful, but it's not sin. So the things in Romans 14 are about the, the gray areas. 
the convictions that people can have that are differing. The convictions that you think are right. And so therefore the other conviction must be wrong. So it's really hard when we come to this because we are then prone to judge another person. It's just natural within us. But we know that if another person has this conviction and they fail to do it, they are in sin. Right? And so let us never be the ones to cause them to sin. James 4.17 says that. Uh, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him that is sin. If you know the right thing to do, if you're convicted about a holy day, or if you're convicted about a diet, and you don't do it, you're walking in sin. And so it's really hard, because we could maybe try to pull people away from their dietary stuff that they're convicted of. Well, let's not, let's not do that if it's not harmful to the church or to their witness or to the glory of God. Um, we encourage them to glorify God. Verse 14 uh, speaks to this as well in chapter 14. It says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that, Jesus, um, that in the Lord Jesus nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean if anyone thinks it is unclean. So if you're convicted that something is wrong, it's wrong, and you're not to do it. If you're convicted that dancing is wrong, then it's wrong. Don't do it. But do not place that conviction on other people. That's what Romans 14 says. You can be convicted, and you can say, it it is wrong for me, it is wrong for our family, we do not dance. But it is wrong for you, according to Romans chapter 14, to place that on another family, to place that on another person. Dancing is one thing that was, it's not so much now, um, it's a very minor thing now. What about smoking? That's a gray area in the Bible, as much as you might think that's interesting, because you think, well, that harms your body, and aren't you supposed to take care of your body? Well, saturated fat harms your body. And you take lots of it. And sugar that you overdose on is just as bad for your body. So who's a person who's got an addiction to sugar telling a person who is smoking that they're wrong to smoke? That it's a Christian conviction. You cannot be a Christian and smoke a cigarette. But why? You take in more sugar than the Coke factory has in a year. Right? Like... It's a problem. And, and you see it's a problem is when the conviction begins to become the, the law for someone else. You might be convicted that smoking is unwise and you don't think it glorifies God in your body so you don't do it. But you actually can't place that on another person because the scripture is not clear on smoking. And so some things we have to take as principle in the scripture. Kissing before marriage. Some people are adamant that it is wrong. It is a sin to kiss before marriage. Others are free to say, well, no, I, I don't think it is, right? But that, that, that's a, a thing. People will place that on other people say, you need to say no kissing. If you do, we don't know. We don't know if you're walking in sin or not, right? So there's another conviction that's a gray area. Uh, women in the workforce. Some people are convicted that that's wrong and it doesn't please God. When other people say, well, no, I, I think a woman can hold any job, any job, a general of an army. Right? And so there's a, a vast pendulum on the gray scale. But if whatever conviction you hold on that, you don't have the right to say another person is sinful for believing differently. We don't have that right. Those are principles from conclusions we draw from the scripture. I have obviously opinions on women in, in law enforcement and uh, putting a woman at the head of an army. I think it's wrong. But I'm not going to say that you have to think it's wrong. You can say, ah, women generals in our army is fine. You can hold that conviction. I think you're wrong. But I'm not going to say 
that uh, you have to believe what I believe. It's a principle I've come to understand from Scripture. Another one is, is the Lord's table. If it's juice, is it still celebrating communion? That's a conviction that many people hold and say, no, you are not even taking the Lord's Supper unless you're having wine. So then they place that on other people and say, wow, you're not even real Christians. It happens. But again, it's, it's a gray area. Should, believer, should unbelievers be able to serve in a church capacity in any way? Should an unbeliever be able to serve in a church in any way? I.e., can you have a, a teenager who you don't really know if they're a Christian, can they serve in your VBS? Can they help with crafts? Right? And so there's this like, whoa, like this scale of the grayness to go, oh, I think... Actually, I think that's wrong. I've come to the conviction that that's probably wrong and probably not helpful. And so, therefore, you have this sliding scale of the grayness. But can you place that on another person? No. Romans 14 says that's wrong. Another one that is current is what warrants civil disobedience as Christians? How far is the government's say in our life too far where we say enough's enough and we're going to disobey you? Right? Churches are battling that weekly right now churches who say we're not going to abide by mask laws we're not going to abide by capacity laws we're going to do what we want because uh, we're convicted that it dishonors god to uh, have different capacities or, or you know what i mean so that's a current issue where christians are vastly divided and it's it's becoming a very strong issue where those who, who are perhaps anti-maskers or saying the government this is enough's enough they're judging other Christians and saying, well, you're not even true Christians. You're not even real pastors if you don't open your church fully. It happens on a daily basis. I hear it on a daily basis. You're not a faithful gospel pastor unless your church is full to the max, 100% capacity. You're not a faithful minister. Where is that in the Bible? Right? They've come to a principled conviction based on, uh, you know, it honors God to gather and let us not neglect to meet together. They've come to a principled conviction, but they don't have the right to say that another person is not a believer or not faithful Christian because they practice differently. That, that is a current temporary issue. Or, or vice versa. If you think, oh, yeah, well, we have to abide by all the rules and we're going to wear masks for the next 25 years and we can only meet at 30% capacity and we believe in mandated vaccines that you can't live life without a vaccine. If you believe that, then you also have to be careful not to judge the other end. You say, we're filling our church. James Coach Church. I don't know. You've probably seen it in the news and you've kind of an opinion on it. Whether you think that church is wise or unwise, to meet it more than 100% capacity. The pastor who is in jail now, up until May, he'll be in jail until his court trial. You've, you've come to a conviction if you've heard that story of whether what they're doing is right or wrong. But what you cannot do, based on Romans 14, is judge them for their decision and their conviction that they think glorifies God and they have the freedom and the right to do so. And so it's a real, a real struggle for us in these days in, in just how do you practice church? How do you practice life as a Christian? There are some things that are gray areas that the Bible does not speak to, uh, black or white, and even principally. The Bible doesn't speak to it. And so it's really hard. And that's where we just have to uh, apply Romans 14 very carefully. Let us not pass judgment. Why? The word that began this text is the therefore. Because God does. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to figure out what's right and wrong for them. God's got it all. Okay? Trust Him. Trust Him. That's what the word therefore says to me is trust Him. And because you trust Him, therefore you don't have to judge them. 
You can encourage them in their faith, walk side by side with them, as long as you know they're not displeasing God uh, explicitly. The Bible says that they're not sinning. Then don't judge them. Walk with them. Pray for them. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on another any longer because they will give an account to God. Let's pray about that challenge this morning. Oh God, you are perfect in all of your judgment. Uh, You have never wavered on what is right or what is wrong. You've never had to um, be impacted by a sinful motivation or uh, a, a sinful end goal like we are. So we leave all judgment up to you. And we thank you that you have spoken and that you are clear on many, many things that are sin. And we thank you when you do um, judge us. We thank you when you discipline us, when you show us the judgment, whether it's through our personal reading of the scripture, whether it's through the Holy Spirit just laying heavy guilt upon us, or whether it's through a, a, a loving brother or sister who's willing to maybe show us areas of our life. Thank you for people who are, are willing to take that hit. Thank you for people who are loving enough and, and wise enough to deliver such hard news in Uh, ways in which we can hear it and therefore repent rather than become defensive. Help us, O God, when we want to defend and justify potential sin in our lives, but then help help us even more so uh, to think about the areas that are gray and our convictions and how we hold them, but then how we hold them next to a person we disagree with. And, and, And help us not to judge. Help us not to demean other positions of other Christians that are that are really just a matter of opinion, a matter of decision among um, a certain body of people. And so help us, God. This is a really difficult thing that we cannot do without your help. So we want your help um, so that we can trust you. We trust you with it all, that we leave them to your judgment, that they will give an account to you. Help us to believe that, to trust it fully, and showing that by not judging others. We need your help in Christ's name. Amen.